love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Today's podcast is a double header of my episodes on first names and last names. I enjoy researching all of my topics. I wouldn't do a video on anything I found boring, but exploring the history of names was a particular favorite. I especially liked learning the concept of how names evolved and asking friends from other cultures about their naming traditions. And so without further ado, a history of names. What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. As Juliet pondered the significance of the moniker of her beloved, we have to admit names are something we take for granted, but they are a huge part of human culture. Expectant parents may agonize about what to call their new bundle of joy. Something hip and trendy like Emma, Liam, Olivia, or Noah. Something creative and unique like Apple, Absidy, Rumi, or Sir. Or an old classic or family name like Mary, George, Elizabeth, or Robert. Someone's name is often their first impression. Multiple studies have shown that your name affects how people perceive everything from your intelligence and personality to how you look. But no pressure on picking that perfect name for Junior to use for the rest of his or her life. Let's take a look at the history of the given name, where they come from, where they are coming from now, and some interesting naming traditions from around the world. When did we start using names? As spoken history doesn't survive nearly as well as physical artifacts, tracing the development of the name is rather tricky. But names for individual people likely evolved right along with spoken language. As it helped early humans to navigate their environment to assign words to animals, plants, and places, like, I killed a wildebeest by the lake, let's go bring it back to the village and eat it, or the red berries are delicious, the thornberries will kill you. It was also much easier to say, Tuk-Tuk is the father of my child, or I went hunting with Ugg and he got eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. As written language emerged, we begin to see more solid proof of names for individuals. This hieroglyphic of a falcon above a mouth is found in many artifacts from the 32nd century BC. It is pronounced Irihor and is believed to be the name of an early pharaoh of Egypt, but could also mean something else related to the royal family. A clay tablet dating to the same era was discovered in Sumeria, which is interpreted to say 29,086 measures of barley were received over the course of 37 months, signed Cushum. So the ancient accountant named Cushum may be one of the earliest recorded names in history, but could also be a job title or company name. Another Mesopotamian tablet from a few generations later tell of two enslaved people named Inpap X and Sukigir who were owned by Gal Sal. 
these three people were the holders of some of the definitive earliest names ever recorded. Names became very important and powerful to ancients in the Fertile Crescent. Speaking the name of a deity was believed to evoke their spirit for magic or miracles, and rituals had to be carried out in someone's name. This belief is responsible for the reluctance to use the proper name of God in Hebrew writing or speech. In the New Testament, Luke 9.49, the disciples record seeing a man driving out demons using the name of Jesus Christ. In Catholic exorcism, a demon can be expelled when the exorcist has forced it to tell its name. Throughout the Bible, people are given names that have meaning and significance. For instance, Solomon was the first king to reign without war, and his name means peace. Where do names come from? Names come from a variety of sources across different cultures. They derive from nouns such as the Gaelic name Conan meaning hound, or the Latin name Ava meaning bird, from adjectives such as the English William meaning strong-willed, or the Greek Sophia meaning wise. They come from compounds of ancient phrases like the Hebrew Benjamin meaning son of my right hand, or the Norse Oliver meaning ancestor's descendant. Gods and deities are also popular inspiration for names such as the Greek goddess Diana or the Norse god Thor. As these names became popular in a given culture, their original meanings were often forgotten and they simply became part of the pool of common names in the area. In medieval Europe, the deeply religious population tended to stick with biblical and saints' names. The first name was often called the Christian name, and a name day or a saint's day, the feast day of the saint you were named after, was more commonly celebrated than one's birthday. You might also be named after a saint whose feast day you were born on. As Catholic saints came from a variety of cultures, names became a form of cultural exchange, but the original meanings were further obscured. Saint Catherine was an Egyptian martyr of Greek origin from the third century. Her name means pure. Saint Nicholas was living at the same time in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and his name means victory of the people. Both Catherine and Nicholas were popular names throughout the Middle Ages but their spelling and pronunciation were adapted to fit the local language. Catherine is Catalina in Spanish, and Nicholas is Nikolai in Russian. Naming traditions from around the world. In Ghana, children are often named based on the day of the week they were born. Each day has assigned male and female names. So a baby boy born at 11.59 on a Thursday would be called Yao, but if he waited to be born until 12.01 on Friday morning, his name would be Kofi. A girl born on a Saturday is named Ama, and one born on Tuesday is Abina. Ghana's first president, Kwame Nkrumah, was born on a Saturday, and former United Nations Secretary General, Kofi Annan, was born on a Friday. The day on which you were born is believed to be tied to your character. Weekday names are common in West Africa and the African diaspora. In Ghana, second names are added in the case of siblings who share the same day of birth, or in the case of twins, the second sibling delivered is considered the elder, as they were mature enough to help their sibling out first. So a twin girl delivered second on a Tuesday would be called Abna Ata Kuma. 
In China, given names are nearly always one or two syllables, with single-syllable names being more traditional and two-syllable names gaining in popularity. A name is selected based on the tonal quality of the sound and the shape of the character or characters that make up the written name. The meaning of the name is also significant, with strong masculine names like Chao Wei meaning great and Lai Kuayong meaning strong, popular for boys, while feminine beautiful names like Lai Na meaning elegant or Chong Lai meaning beautiful, popular for girls. Across cultures, the names that parents choose for their children reflect their hopes and dreams for their offspring's future, as well as their cultural values. Given names can have big ties to one's cultural heritage, and many people look back on their origins when picking names for their children. In the 1960s and 70s, many African Americans decided to forego traditional white names and give their children names that reflected their origins in Africa. The popular miniseries Roots caused the name Kizzy to soar in popularity. Many other names were borrowed or adapted from African names, such as Imani, which comes from Swahili and means faith, or Jamal, a masculine name from Arabic meaning beauty. Kalisha is a combination of the common West African prefix Ka and the popular American name Alicia, and Rashan is a combination of the Arabic prefix Ra and the Irish name Sean. Other popular names in the African-American community include those with French prefixes such as DeMarcus and Lawanda. This harkens to the mingling of the large French-speaking and African-American populations of Louisiana. Societies in the past were far more communal than our modern culture, so names that fit in were more valuable than unique or unusual names. Henry VIII married two Annes and three Catherines, and several of his mistresses also shared those names. I'm sure that helped him when calling their names in bed. As individualism became more important, parents have prioritized selecting more unusual monikers for their children that will set them apart from their peers. More and more, parents aim to find a name that no other child in their preschool will have. Celebrities have been at the forefront of this trend with names like Apple, Radix, Blue Ivy, and even Moxie Crime Fighter. The popularity of given names is forever waxing and waning. Speakeasies in the 1920s were full of Georges and Ruths, while many Roberts and Dorothys fought and nursed in World War II. A great deal of Richards and Barbaras were trying out the hippie lifestyle at Woodstock, and Michaels and Lisas were moonwalking in the 1980s. And parents today, like Matthew and Jessica, are filling up preschools with Little Masons and Emmas. What about middle names? Why do so many of us get two given names? Middle names first appeared in the 11th century in the Gascony region of France and in the 13th century among Italian elites. As we now know, children were often given the names of Catholic saints, and it was believed that a saint would offer some protection to the mortals who bear their moniker. So in a time of high childhood mortality, why wouldn't you grant your baby additional protection by naming them after more than one saint? Middle names also had a practical purpose. There might be three John Smiths living in your village. Middle names help distinguish between John Michael Smith, John Peter Smith, and John Zachariah Smith. 
This really came into play with the 11 daughters of Holy Roman Empress Maria Theresa, all of whom were given the first name Maria after their mother and the Virgin Mary. But rather than saying, Maria, can you get your sisters Maria and Maria, they were referred to by their unique middle names, such as Anna, Josefa, and Antonia, aka Marie Antoinette. Sadly, three of Maria Theresa's daughters died in early childhood, and their names were recycled to younger daughters. She had two Maria Elizabeths and three Maria Carolinas. If you're interested in learning more about Maria Theresa's 16 fascinating children, check out my videos about them. By the 18th and 19th centuries, Europeans and North Americans from all social classes were giving children a second name. In the mid-20th century, the use of substituting initials for middle or first names enjoyed a few decades of popularity. Examples include writer F. Scott Fitzgerald and J.R.R. Tolkien, and nine U.S. presidents including Franklin D. Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy. Today, middle names are common across the world and many people use them as a way to honor family members without making it the child's day-to-day -day name. So you can remember your Grandma Bertha and your Uncle Herbert in a more discreet way. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. A History of Family Names. Family names, aka last names or surnames, are important in many cultures and tie us to our lineage. They are a link back to our ancestors and they are an intriguing glimpse at where our forebears came from and what their lives were like. But family names did not always exist, so where did they come from? And how do they differ among different cultures throughout the world? Let's take a look at the fascinating history of family names. If you've seen my video on the history of names, then you know it that names emerged right along with language. After all, it was easier to refer to other community members by a specific word than vaguely grunting in their direction. But for much of early human civilization, one name was enough. Communities were small and everyone knew each other and whom they were related to. 
When members of different communities met through war, trade, or other means, they might refer to each other by the name of the tribe or clan that they hailed from, in addition to their given name. But as populations began to grow and people lived in larger and larger villages and even cities, it became necessary to distinguish between your brother Joe and the Joe living on the other side of the village. According to Chinese legend, about 5,000 years ago, Emperor Fu Shi mandated that all citizens must take their mother's name or a matronomic in addition to their personal name. Their mother's name was placed before the personal name, and this is still the practice in China today. Though in the 1500s BC under the Shang Dynasty, the father's name or a patronymic began to be used instead. Ancient Roman citizens had a naming convention called trinomia, or three names. The paranomen was the personal name, the nomen was the jin's or clan of origin, and the cognomen was the name of the family within the jin's. Sometimes an agnomen or personal nickname was also used, such as General Publius Cornelius Scipio Africanus, who earned the nickname Africanus when he defeated Hannibal in North Africa. Roman women did not usually have a personal name, but were referred to by the feminine version of their father's nomen or cognomen, such as Octavius's daughter Octavia. They could also be called by their mother's name, in which case mother and daughter would be distinguished by the addition of elder or major and younger or minor, such as Roman Empress Agrippina the Younger. Jewish people in biblical times would be identified by the name of their father. For example, David ben Jacob means David the son of Jacob. A woman would use bat, daughter of, instead, such as Rachel bat Leban. During the Dark Ages, family names were forgotten. Ever wonder what Emperor Charlemagne or William the Conqueror's last names were? Well, they didn't have one. Kings, nobles, knights, and other important individuals were often distinguished by nicknames, like Ethelred the Unready or Einstein the Fart, or with their place of origin, like Eleanor of Aquitaine or Anne of Bohemia. But they didn't have surnames as we think of them today. In the Doomsday Book, an invaluable survey of all the land and people in England commissioned by William the Conqueror in 1085, we can see some of the early forms of second names people used to distinguish themselves from the many other Johns and Ethelreds about. We see examples like Alfred the Butler and Hugh, son of Grip. These distinguishing names became important for notaries to include in legal documents so that, for example, a grandfather could make it clear that he was leaving his farm to his grandson Peter the Smith and not his grandson Peter the Tall. When William the Conqueror and the Normans took over England, they sometimes used the old French word fits from the Latin filius, meaning son of. The founders of the powerful Fitzgerald dynasty in Ireland were the sons of Norman knight Gerald of Windsor. Later, this patronymic was used to indicate an illegitimate child of an aristocrat. Henry VIII had a son by his mistress Bessie Blount, who was named Henry Fitzroy, Roy from the Latin for king. In 1538, Thomas Cromwell, chief minister to Henry VIII, ordered that all church parishes must keep records of baptisms, marriages, and burials. And a surname was required to be entered into the record. 
A similar law was passed in France the following year, and in 1563 at the Council of Trent, the Vatican dictated that baptism, marriage, and burial records, which included a second name, must be kept by all parishes throughout Europe. And thus bureaucracy gave birth to the surname. So now that every Catholic in Europe was required by law to have a surname, what should it be? People continued to use the names of their occupation, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Topographical and geographical names were also common. Topographical surnames refer to a specific place one's ancestors hail from, such as York or Da Vinci. And geographical surnames refer to a land feature they lived near, such as Bridges or Ford. Or they might create a patronymic by taking their father's given name and adding son to the end of it. So John's son Robert would be Robert Johnson, and his son Adam would be Adam Robertson. This tradition is continued in Iceland to this day, with people taking their father or more recently their mother's given name and adding son or duter to the end. Icelandic singer Björk's last name is Gudmundsdóttir, after her father, Gudmundur. In many other countries, eventually it became simpler for an entire family to have the same name generation after generation, so one occupational name or patronymic was passed down. In many cases, the O-N was dropped from patronymic names, making Williamson Williams. That's why so many common surnames of European descendants today have a ring of the medieval about them, like Miller, Taylor, and Smith, Johnson, Robinson, and Williams. Patronymic names exist in many cultures. In the Gaelic tradition of Scotland and Ireland, Mac or O is used before the father's name. Mac meaning son of and O meaning grandson or descendant of. For instance, MacDonald and O'Donald. In many cases, Mac was abbreviated to Mick, but the meaning is the same. In Spain, a Z or EZ was added to the father's name to make names like Alvarez and Gonzalez. In Italy, de or D, meaning of, was often added before the name of the oldest founder of the family. Similarly, in France, du was added. This did not indicate that a person was descended from nobility, but was often used by aristocrats, so many common people added du to their name to sound as though they were nobles. In some cultures, a middle name is a second family name. In Spain, a person's middle name is usually their mother's family name. In Russia, patronymic middle names are used. For men, patronymic names end in ovich or evich, and for women, ovna or evna. So a man with the name Peter Ivanovich Rustov is the son of Ivan Rustov. When Princess Alex of Hesse converted to Russian Orthodoxy before marrying Tsar Nicholas II, she was required to take a patronymic middle name. She could not make a Russian patronymic of her own father's foreign name, Louis, so instead was offered the traditional, rather flattering, patronym of foreign royal brides, Fyodorovna, from Fyodor meaning gift of God. The use of surnames varied across cultures, but often became mandatory when those cultures came into contact with or were conquered by other cultures that used surnames. China ruled over Vietnam from 111 BC to 980 AD. During this time, Chinese administrators gave all Vietnamese people family names so that they could better track them. 
These names were of Chinese origin, Nian, Chan, and Lei being bestowed especially often. Today, it is estimated that 40% of the Vietnamese population has the surname Nian, but this doesn't mean that they're all related. In 1232, the Lai dynasty was overthrown and its descendants were forced to change their name to Nian. This happened several more times with the Ho dynasty in 1407, the Mok dynasty in 1592, and the House of Qing in 1802. The name became so common that second personal names emerged in Vietnam to help tell all the Nguyen's apart. The second personal name is often a generational name, so brothers and sisters all share the same moniker. Ferdinand Magellan arrived in the Philippines in 1521, and the country was under Spanish rule from then until their revolution in 1898. Thus, many Filipinos have Spanish last names, like actress Vilma Santos and President Carlos P. Garcia. Enslaved Africans in the Americas were often forced to use their owner's last name, and many African Americans today still bear the surnames of the families that enslaved their ancestors. In the early 1950s, activist Malcolm Little changed his name to Malcolm X to blot out this painful reminder of his ancestors' bondage. There has long existed a myth that prejudiced inspectors at Ellis Island frequently shortened, misspelled, or anglicized the names of immigrants coming to the United States. However, this is untrue. Many of the Ellis Island inspectors were immigrants themselves, and they spoke an average of three languages. The most famous was Fiorello LaGuardia, who went on to become a U.S. congressman and mayor of New York City. Ellis Island had a staff of interpreters to ensure new arrivals could be understood by inspectors, who more often corrected name mistakes made by shipping companies. It was usually the immigrants themselves who changed their name in order to assimilate with their new communities and to improve their job prospects. In most patrilineal societies, which is most societies, children are given the surname of their father's family. As maternity is always certain, while paternity is a little more nebulous, this has long been an important way for a father to label his children as his own. And as inheritance most often passed down from father to child, so did the family name. Many cultures saw and still see a bride as leaving her own family and joining her husband's family. Thus, we have the tradition of wives taking their husband's family name upon marriage. But in many countries, this is changing as more women decide to retain their maiden name upon marriage, and more children are given hyphenated or combination surnames. Whatever our last name, it can be a strong link to our past, to our ancestors and the circumstances of their lives. Be it a link you are proud of or one you'd rather forget. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be putting out new episodes each Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos. Thank you for listening.